0: Uh, This week, a good friend told me that another friend, John Hurdle, told him that Nick Crawford told him that Matt Chandler, famous pastor, asked Nick recently, hey, I'm thinking about doing a sermon series in the book of Daniel, and I may call it Thriving in Babylon. What do you think? Dude's a thief, man. That's what I think. But uh, truth to tell, I lifted that from somebody else. There's nothing new under the sun. So somebody else had come up with this this title, and we're grateful uh, for that. Uh, there's a podcast, it's really, um, it's a, at a high level. Uh, the, the, the podcaster, his name is Guy Roz, and Guy has a podcast called How I Built This. Anybody ever listen to this? If you are in business or thinking about in business or just an ideas oriented person, man or woman, this is real, a really good podcast I recommend it, How I Built This. So what he does is he asks questions of entrepreneurs, innovators, and idealists, He asked them questions related to what were moments of elation, what were moments of demoralization, when did you want to quit, tell me about some highs and lows. And he always, and he's interviewed, the podcast I've listened to on how I built this have been uh, the the guy from Ben and Jerry's and uh, Five Guys Burgers and Fries, uh, Airbnb, Chipotle uh, innovator, was, was on the podcast recently, and so he asked them a variety of questions in an hour or so broadcasted, but he always ends it with a common thread with this question. How much of your success was, can, do you attribute to hard work? How much of your success do you attribute to sheer luck? And would anybody guess the responses? There's a, there is a common refrain in the midst of multivaried stories. There's a common refrain. Nobody says all of this was sheer luck. But also, no one says that this was all hard work. And you can hear this common voice amidst successful women and men. You can hear a common refrain, a common voice of what I would consider humility. They speak of open doors, mentors, venture capitalists, relatives, fortuitous moments, and unforeseen circumstances. Favorable things that happen to help put them where they are. So with that that is a backdrop, thinking of how I built this, keep that in your mind for a moment in the back and think about where we are in Daniel chapter 4 and chapter 5, 600 BC, there's another idealist, another entrepreneur, another innovator named King Nebuchadnezzar and he's leading the uh, Babylonians and they've just... They have literally conquered the world. Some of you say that about yourself or your company or your sports team, and it's totally a joke. It's nowhere near a reality. But King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians had conquered the world. The Egyptians were conquered by them. The Assyrians, there was a remnant of them. They had been overtaken by this by this empire. And let me show you just a, a picture. Of, well, it's a rendering, not a picture, because they didn't have iPhones back then. But you see, this is an artist's rendering. There are many... Uh, stockpiled away like this that look similar but you think of Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon now for the nerds in the room history nerds and such Babylon was not a new city Uh, it had existed a thousand years historians estimate before Nebuchadnezzar started his reign but he made it all new you can do that right you can have an existence you can have a city but you can come in with all the machines and all the 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 low-wage laborers, and you can build something like this. And so what you have, again, is a rendering, but you have palaces and temples and walls and gates and gardens and fountains. And I, I just, my gut tells me that if Guy Raz was interviewing King Nebuchadnezzar on how I built this, and he asked him that final question, how much of your success do you attribute to hard work? How much do you attribute... To sheer luck. I just have a feeling in my gut that King Nebuchadnezzar would say, I did this. Those three lethal words of pride. And I told the first service this at 930. It's easy for us. Look, I've got it in me. I suspect you have it in you. It's something about our humanity. We love to be the hero in the story. And there's something about us, though we don't say it out loud because that'd run people off. But we think it like, I'm Daniel. I'm just a couple of decisions away from becoming a Daniel. I'm Daniel in the story, but I want us to entertain today. And I shared with the first service. They didn't seem too offended. They played along. But maybe you've got some King Nebuchadnezzar ruminating in your heart. A little king running around in your heart where you're trying to build your own empire. Establish a kingdom for yourself. And so pride is something in chapter 4 that God confronts. He uses Daniel to confront Neb- Nebuchadne- Nebuchadnezzar, the king. And I think he uses it to confront me. This is one of those sermons I've wrestled with it a little bit. It was not just words on paper, but I've wrestled with it a little bit myself. And I hope it'll uh, motivate you. I hope it'll move you. I hope it'll encourage you in some ways. And I hope it'll challenge you and step on your toes and rattle your cages and ruffle your feathers uh, just a little bit. Because pride is something within every heart, every single heart in the room. Who built this? And by the way, let me ask you, what kind of life are you constructing? What kind of life are you building? what kind of soul, what kind of character, what kind of relationships what kind of marriage, what kind of spiritual beliefs? what type of life are you constructing what 's your empire what what is your what 's your kingdom now when we talk about confronting pride i 've got a friend who doesn 't believe he 's not a Christian he comes to our church some I love the guy, and I tell him he 's not a believer yet he knows i 'm uh, working on him, and he uh, tells me he 's working on me as well, but he uh, one of the the complaints he has against uh, people of faith, Christians in particular, is that we, uh, we preach against self-esteem, that we preach against uh, having any form of pride, and so I want to say, I think this is instructive and helpful, especially to the young people here, but listen, uh, the Bible is not against having healthy self-esteem. The Bible is not against you parents saying, I'm proud of my kids. Maybe not put an honor, you know, bumper sticker about your kids being on the honor roll. Maybe not that, but just saying, hey, I'm proud of my kids. I'm proud of who they're becoming. I'm I'm proud of the hard work. I want to say to you, that's good and that's healthy, but when I talk today from Daniel chapter 4 about God confronting our pride, it's the pride that uh, exalts self. It's the pride of, uh, with a sense of entitlement. It's the pride that shuns other people and Put yourself on some type of perch or pedestal. It's that type of pride, which, y'all, it stems from insecurity and it overcompensates in fear. And so, uh, women, if you're married, just look at me real quick. The guys aren't going to like this, but if your man is walking around with that macho bravado stuff and he's bragging, he's afraid of something. There's something under there. Uh, don't talk, sweetie. Don't tell them about me, but I'm just, I, I want the heat to be on them, not me. But listen, pride manifests itself in our insecurities a myriad of them it manifests itself in some of our our foundational fears a lot of times when we're bragging men in particular we're afraid of something and so i want this message i want this story to confront all of us because all of us have it It, it's a a central vice c.s lewis writes so beautifully on pride i wanted to put up some quotes from him today but they're so lengthy and um but Google C.S. Lewis and Pride, and you'll see some just profound things that said about it. It's a chief virtue, and it's a vice. I'm sorry, vice, it's a vice that perpetuates uh, so many others. So I want to give this message today. Uh, By the way, in a quick summary of Daniel could be this: it's one big epic story of God's kingdom versus human empire. Hey, what happened to the Egyptians? They were so great. What happened to the Assyrians? They were so awesome. What happened eventually to the Babylonians? What happened to the Persians? What happened to the Greeks? What happened to the Romans? What happened to some of your companies back in 2008? What happened to this? What happened to what happened to you when you were on the top? What happened to you when you thought you were invincible? What happened? Nations come and go, and kingdoms rise and fall, and leaders don't always finish well. And so we come today, and we see this, and it's just so easy for us to say, "I'm Daniel." But look, the chief story of Daniel is living faithfully in a godless culture. And I'm telling you, I want you to hear me today. God is still looking for Daniels. He's looking for Daniels not to retreat from the culture and not to just acquiesce to it and say, I'm going to go along to get along. But what we see, and you'll see it in chapter 4 yet again, you'll see a man who shows respect to people. You'll see a man who worked hard. And I know I've said this a few times. I want to say it today because some of you are hearing this sermon or this series for the first time. Uh, what I love about Daniel, I'm passing on to you, is God did not call Daniel to be a po- prophet, a priest, a king, apostle, a teacher, an evangelist, none of that. He called him to be in the marketplace. He called him to live out his faith in a hostile environment, and that's 99.3% of people in the house today. That's you. Uh, I don't know God's will for your life completely, so don't, don't read too much into that, but I'm just saying you're probably not going to do this, most of you, but, but God can use you in ways he can't use me. He can use you out there, and he wants to show up be honest give a hard day's work care about people around you understand where you fit understand who's above you and who's below you but don't treat people any different treat everyone with respect daniel did that and daniel 1 8 i keep going back to this uh, hallmark of this whole book daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's food daniel purposed in his heart he made up his mind ahead of time what a great way to live to make up your mind not to wait till you're in the moment and See what decision you're going to make based on the circumstances of the crowd. But just to say, hey, this is the way I want to live. And I'm telling you, for faithful folks who are bold and creative and genuine and sincere, God will will promote you. God will give you a platform. He's looking for Daniels in our day. I want to give this message, Daniel chapter 4, in four parts. And the first one is this part. Part one is the palace. The palace. Daniel chapter 4 in verse 4 i nebuchadnezzar notice the that we have a new narrator remember i told you last week for the nerds chapter one and chapter two is written in hebrew uh chapter three and uh, many of the other chapters are written in aramaic not many of those in all of the bible and then they drop back into hebrew because of the end times eschatology all the stuff that happens with the prophecies and stuff like that Uh, i think i connected with three three of you just then but anyway i nebuchadnezzar was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace he's at the peak of success he's at the pinnacle of comfort and luxury is comfort good for you somebody said no you're quick to answer is comfort 2nd Corinthians 1 says God is the God of all comfort so there is a comfort that God gives and that some of you need today and I want that for you you're hurting and a prayer that the psalmist says that God is guaranteed to hear is the broken and contrite if you're broke if you're proud He resists that prayer. But if you're broken and contrite and you know that you need him, it was an honor at 9.30 to pray for a few people. And I heard admission of need. I heard some people say, here's my need. And it's like, thank you for coming forward. Thank you. for God, honor this prayer. Meet them and comfort them. So God is the God of all comfort, 2 Corinthians 1 would say. He's the Father of mercies. So he can comfort you in your time of need, Jesus promised. But look, he's not the God of your comfort. He's not. You can't say he's the god of my comfort because when you're comfortable, you're not much good. When you're comfortable, you're at ease in your house. Anybody got a palace? Stand up and raise your hand if you got a palace. We're coming to your place, not Piccadillys after church. Here's Nebuchadnezzar, and he, and he's saying, "Hey, this is what I have." And the three, those three lethal words: "I did this, I did this, I built this. This is mine." There's a series of three lethal words that separate us from others and from god and we see this in nebuchadnezzar anybody got the sense that the story is about to change when you're at ease in your house when you are flourishing in your palace there's no guarantees so part two is the dream we go from the palace to the dream you say preacher i thought we just had a dream are we repeating ourselves it's another dream. We got some dreams up in Daniel. Y'all got, you guys have dreams? You don't just have one dream, you dream. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, says this, I had a dream and it frightened me. While in my bed, the images and visions in my mind alarm me. This is not a child, this is a man child. This is a king who is ruling the wor- world in a literal sense. If you're parenting young children, or you're my age, you remember some of those scenes, right? Of mommy, daddy, I'm scared, I'm, I've had this... This bad dream this is a king who's saying this has alarmed me and he's hurting and he is wondering verse 6 of chapter 4 so I issued a decree to bring all the wise men of Babylon to me in order that they might make the dreams interpretation known to me again a little bit of rinse and repeat from chapter 3 chapter 2 the king is paranoid the king has devoted his life to conquest to power and to control his own good at the expense of other people, a terrible strategy for life. Oh, but I'm at ease in my house. I'm flourishing in my palace, but the dream disrupts him. And this is not a silly dream about a monster under the bed, Jason or Michael or whatever's coming up. By the way, we're coming up close to scary season. I've got some good pranks for some people in my life, but he's scared, but this is like legit fear. This is fear of the future, which psychologists tell us is one of the great fears of life. What's next? what's what's next he wants to know and again the refrain is repeated he calls the wise men uh, in the previous chapters he there's a long list a litany of the descriptors the chaldeans the magicians the astrologers you know all these people he lists like i think seven descriptors or seven different categories the satraps we don't have satraps in our day do we but tons of people that work for the king if you rule an empire you got a ton of people some of y'all got people some of you got people that you're over uh he had thousands of people that he's over and he says uh, and if you remember uh, last week we talked about the first dream he had what's what does it mean what does it mean what does it what does this dream mean what does this dream mean can i just stop and say something that's philosophical but important every one of you are religious every human heart in the world today is religious if you want to substitute the word spiritual I'll, we'll go with that but all of us have faith all of us want to know all of us want meaning behind it. So, so you look at the stars to find meaning. Or you open the little cookie you got uh, at Panda Express to see what it says inside. You take a picture and send it to a friend and go, oh, there's what it said. You're looking for meaning. I know we laugh a little bit about that, but it's true. We're looking for purpose and meaning, and the king wants to know what does this mean? But listen, he calls for Daniel because he remembered Daniel as a teenager. He calls for For the daniel who's not as young as he used to be can i get an amen you're not as young as you used to be i'm not as young as i used to be i feel it and daniel's not as young as he used to be but man the king remembers who he was who he used to be and who he hopes he is now daniel was not a babylonian daniel was an israelite daniel grew up not in babylon but in jerusalem he was kidnapped and carted off against his will him and his cronies and man he served god faithfully in this hostile culture and god gave him these special gifts i'm telling you if you combine the gifts god gives you with integrity look out and this is this is the story of this young man and we see how it plays out in verse 10 in the visions of my mind as i was lying in bed i saw this there was a tree in the middle of the earth and it was very tall the dream involves a tree what did the dream involve in the previous chapter a statue This is a tree, a tall tree. The tree grew large and strong. Its top reached to the sky, and it was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful. Its fruit was abundant, and on it was food for all. Wild animals found shelter under it. The birds of the sky lived in its branches, and every creature was fed from it. This is the dream, and the dream is a tree. I was in Africa just a few weeks ago when you read this poetry from Daniel about the living things and all the creatures. It just, it just stares you, like you feel it in a real, real way. Daniel was called in to interpret this dream. The first dream was a statue. The first dream, you'll remember, it was a giant statue. It had gold at the head. It had silver in the chest region. Uh, it had bronze in the midsection. It had iron uh, in the shins and knees and such. And it had iron and clay at the feet. And we talked about how, last week, that the expression feet of clay was taken from Daniel chapter 2. The statue, what happened to the statue? Uh, People then and now, through the centuries, have debated what empires and what's it referring to. I've shared with you my own uh, personal study, my semi-scholarly approach to to the vision, to the dream, and what I think it it means uh, to us. But ultimately, we know that the feet of the statue had clay. And what happened? A rock was dashed against the feet and it toppled it all. One of my good friends is our, our contractor at the church. He was here on the second row at the first service. And, and he can tell you, um, some of you can. I and mean, if you're going to build a structure, you've got to have the right foundation. You've got to have the right foundation. And both dreams have to do with a faulty foundation. And the tree, well, we'll see what happens to it. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, this is Daniel interpreting it whose top reached to the sky, that's a metaphor, not literal, was visible to the whole earth, and whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it the wild animals lived, and in its branches the birds of the sky lived. That tree is you. Afraid of the future, paranoid, trying to control all of life, gets hit with this. And by the way, I've left out some verses. You'll read them later to keep me honest. And you can learn and grow and learn the Bible. But Daniel cared for the king. Um, you see, the story of Daniel, Daniel himself, the person, is a story of faithful living in a godless culture. But the story of King Nebuchadnezzar is God's pursuing heart. And he pursues the king. And his great, Some of you are like, oh, I'm offended by this. He's so evil. He's wicked. He's vile. God's heart for mercy is way bigger than yours, way bigger than yours. And look, live this way. Don't see people as the enemy ever. And if there there is an enemy, look, trust that person to God and pray for them and hope that God can restore because isn't that what he's done for us? He's shown us his kindness. Be kind and tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. We forgive because we've been forgiven. And so we see Daniel's heart. But look, he, he cares, but then he drops the truth bomb, which is a great way to follow Jesus in our world today. Care about people, but don't be afraid to preach the truth. When you do, I know from personal experience, it comes at a cost. But it's the way to live because truth matters. And in love, I say it, please don't follow your truth. Follow the truth and it's good news of great joy for all people. This is the interpretation, Daniel to the king. Your majesty, and this is the decree of the most high that has been issued against my lord, the king. He's bold, but he's kind. You will be driven away from people to live with wild animals. You will feed on grass like cattle and be drenched with dew from the sky for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the most high is the ruler over human kingdoms and he gives them to anyone that he wants we see the palace we see the dream which is the tree and then we see the warning part three is the warning verse 27 therefore may my advice seem good to you my king separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right what does the bible call that separate yourself it's a, it's a religious word but it's really important and i'll give you a hint if we're playing a game here i told you a couple of weeks ago don't go to a church that doesn't preach this what, what word am i looking for repentance when you change your mind the greek word is methanoid, when you change your mind when you separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right that's repentance and from your injustices by showing mercy to the needy can i get an amen Perhaps there, will be an, perhaps there will be an extension of your prosperity. I love this so much. There's so many spiritual values here. There's so many leadership lessons. Daniel is like, hey, may my advice seem good. You ever try to connect with somebody like you want them to hear what you have to say? You, really, you feel like there's something at stake. And you're like, oh, I hope, you, I hope you're listening. I hope you're listening. I hope, this, I hope you receive this as good. But then he tells them, you've got a responsibility here. He's asking him to humble himself before God. How do you know if you are humble? How do you know if you're humble? If you're in love with somebody, you're trusting somebody, how do you know that that person you've given your heart to is a humble person? Here's what we learned, taking it from chapter 4 of the book of Daniel. Such a great lesson. To be humble before a God you can't see is to be kind to people you can see. To be humble before a God that you can't see is to be kind to people that you can't see. Some translations of this verse that you may have in your lap right now or read later at home on your own say, leave this wickedness and display kindness. Question, go back in your mind. We won't put it up, but uh, go back in your mind to the rendering of Neo-Babylonian Empire, the city, with its palaces and temples and walls and gates and gardens terraces and its fountains and all of that question for you now how was that built i built this how did you build this i built this nebuchadnezzar didn't build it he built it on the back of workers that made lower than minimum wage and god is saying and this is a cultural phenomenon right now. That the church should get right. He's saying, if you want to be humble before God, care about the needy. And care about people. So here's how can you be humble? We're going to know, don't live for us, but we're going to know if you're humble. By how you treat other people who are not like you. By how you treat people who can't return the favor to you. If you have a corner office... I want to encourage you to be kind to the entry-level worker. You say, well, preacher, they come and go. They're just, you know, they just come in. Why learn their name? Why learn their story? Because that's the heart of God. You, are, you can show that you are humble before a God you can't see by being kind to, the, to people that you can see. If you're married, look at me. It's going to get warm in here for just a minute. But if you're married, show greater sensitivity to your spouse. When you're home alone and it's not for show, be kind to your spouse. They're fighting so many battles that you know and don't know about. Be kind to them. You can be humble before a God you can't see by being kind to people that you can see. And our humbleness, our humility is shown, should be shown by the people that live closest to us. I'm going to say it again if you haven't heard me preach this. But if you lead in this church, if you're a servant leader here, it matters how you lead at home. You say, preacher, you, do you ever back that up? Look, it matters. My wife's on the front row every Sunday. It matters how I treat her. She tells my story. If you're leading in the church and we have, in love, participated in church discipline. And it matters how you, tre- and you treat your spouse as equal and treat her with sensitivity and kindness. Remember what the New Testament says? Uh, Paul didn't say, you know, if you want to lead to the church, you, you need to be a successful business person. He didn't say that he said if you want to lead in the church you need to lead well at home and we show kindness to people around us people that can't give anything to us people that are closest to us and doesn't it hurt a little bit that the hardest place to show kindness are the people that need our kindness the most and here from genesis to the end of the book remember the part in genesis the healing tree the healing tree of the nations like we bring healing through our being humble and be kind. have you noticed those two traits are together a lot in the bible and in our lexicon be humble and be kind tim mcgraw wrote a song be humble and be kind it's in the bible and you're humble to the extent that you're kind to other people so he gives him this warning why did he warn him about being humble because he wasn't he wasn't and it takes us to the next section all this happened to king nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months and he was walking on the roof of the royal palace In Babylon. By the way, I talked about how Daniel, the example, is faithful living in a godless culture, and Nebuchadnezzar it shows us God's heart for pursuing. His heart went soft, and then it grew hard again. And all of a sudden, it went soft, and it grew hard again. A lot like your heart and mine. At the end of twelve months, he's walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon. I said that the king exclaimed, "Is this not Babylon the Great? That what?" I have built, you know you didn't, to be a royal residence by my vast power and for my majestic glory. Part four takes us to the field. Because you knew when he was in the palace, in his house with ease and in his flourishing in his palace, that the story had more to it. And he goes to the field. While the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared that the kingdom has departed from you. Uh oh, you will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals and you will feed on grass like cattle for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms and he gives them to anyone that he wants. At that moment, the message against Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people. How sad that the mightiest man on planet Earth became a madman. And for seven years, no personal hygiene no haircuts no hot baths he lived among the animals when we were in africa they brought a big pig up the hill big old fat pig that they had fed for you know why i was like uh oh here here," you know and they i turned away as they the pig screamed for his life that left them a couple of minutes i mean i was like oh but my point is uh to gross you out uh to get you prepared for barbecue pulled pork at lunch my purpose is to say, man, you and I don't want to live among the animals. We just don't. And the, this man became mad, and his humanity was stripped from him. He ate grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with dew from the sky until his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Dude needs some hygiene. The dude needs a haircut. The dude needs a hot bath. It reminds me of Obadiah who said, your arrogant heart has deceived you. I've shared this with some of you before, but you're going to get to heaven one day, I hope. You're going to bump into Obadiah. He's going to say, hey, what would you think of my book? And you're going to say, man, I never read it. But you'll say, man, my preacher preached about it. I know 3A. 3A, he gave me three. It's only one chapter, by the way. 3A, it says, your arrogant heart has deceived you. So if you get to heaven in God's grace, you can tell Obadiah this passage. But man, look, that's so true. There's more familiar words. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. You ever heard that? You ever said that to somebody when you need to be preaching that to yourself? Anybody? What do they call it today on social media? Instant karma. Instant karma. The reductionists, here's what we say. We quote this often. We've uh, distilled the essence of it. And we all say this. Pride comes before the fall. Now in the south, in Mississippi, we've looked forward to the fall. It lasts about five days. But we love the fall. And, like, we get the pumpkin spice latte. And, like, we throw the sweater, the scarf, the scarf around our neck. And uh, we make little Instagram videos. We're so excited about fall. Since, since fall is a pleasant welcome word, let's, let, me, let me rephrase this Bible verse. Pride comes before the face plant. And I want to say to you, you can avoid a lot of face plants. If you humble yourself before God if you extend kindness to everybody, particularly caring for the needy, you can, if you do what God says and live faithfully in a godless culture, you can avoid so many face plants. Now, remember last week. I'm not contradicting. This week doesn't contradict last week. Last week, we talked about the furnace. We said the furnace is inevitable, right? The furnace, you will. The heat will be turned up. Your back will be against the wall. You will be in the line of fire. You can't avoid the furnaces in your life. You can't, and I can't. The furnace doesn't say, oh, do you believe in Jesus? Are you a follower? Oh, you get to pass. No, no, no. You, you will experience so much. You can't avoid the furnace. But you can avoid so many face plants if you and I live our lives with humility let's end with this but at the end of those days i nebuchadnezzar looked up to heaven and my sanity returned to me then i praised the most high and honored and glorified him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation is this shocking to some of y'all i'm telling you it's in you soft heart hard heart soft heart hard heart we vacillate we change our mind we're hypocritical we're we're duplicitous lauren prayed it a moment ago our heart psalm 86 11 uh, protect me from a you know unite my heart from having a divided heart all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing and as he does what he wants with the army of heaven the inhabitants of the earth there's no one who can block his hand or say to him what have you done at that time my sanity returned to me and my majesty and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom my advisors and my nobles sought me out i was reestablished over my kingdom and even more greatness came to me i feel like he's gotten a shave and a hot bath and he's like brushing his teeth and stuff now I let Nebuchadnezzar praise, exalt, and glorify the king of the heavens because all his works are true and his ways are just. He is able. Remember the guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He can rescue me from the furnace. He is able, and even if he doesn't. And Nebuchadnezzar, it's starting to dawn on his, so, his heart is softening towards God. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. Now, if you agree with that, even if you're not an amen person, just play along with me. If you agree with that... If you, if you agree that God is able to humble those who walk in pride, let me hear an amen. amen. Do you believe that God is able to humble those who walk in pride? Uh, let's be really uh, clear about it. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Let's go back. You said amen, that God is able to humble those who walk in pride. But here's what I say. Maybe the biggest story of this chapter 4 is not so much that God humbles those who walk in pride, but that God lifts those who walk in humble. God restores. I've skipped a lot in chapter 4 for the sake of time. But when this dream and the interpretation of the dream, Daniel was like, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, this dream, it said cut the tree. You are the tree. Oh, my goodness, that'll get your attention. You are the tree. But it says leave a root, leave a stump. You know what that signifies? Any guesses? You know what that signifies? Maybe God's not done with you. Maybe you're being cut off, but maybe, maybe God is not finished with you because God restores. Yes, God, God humbles those who are proud, but he lifts up those who are humbled. Does that, does anybody sense maybe an opportunity to experience God's grace in their lives? I love this verse. I look at it often, but you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who what? The one who lifts my hand. I don't have it on the screen and I'll should have done it. Lauren, as you and the team come up, uh, anybody have their Bible open to Daniel chapter four? Um, when you get a certain age, I always need my wife. Now I need my wife and reading glasses. Verse 26, we'll close with this. It's too, God, too good not to mention. Verse 26, as for the command to leave the what? The tree stump with its roots. Your kingdom will be restored to you as soon as you acknowledge that heaven rules. I can't help but think that your life could be restored. Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Anybody missing that? Anybody turned away? Anybody's heart hard here today? People with hard hearts do come to church, and it could be you. God can restore today. But what what do you need to do? The same as this crazy king who had his sanity restored to him. You have to acknowledge that heaven rules and what an invitation it is. When you call out to God and when you and I say heaven rules, not me, control freaks get forgiven. People that have wandered in the field get restored. This is a good thing. Would you stand with me and I'll pray for you. Pray over us. Father, thanks for the word and this story. For statues and trees and roots. Insanity and sanity. Palace life and life among the pigs and the cattle. A God who humbles the proud but lifts up. And I pray for those today who need to be restored. To any today who say, you don't know what I've done. Look what I've done or look what I'm doing or look what's been done to me. No matter, you can restore. You can call us from the field to your house, to your care. Lord, for the proud and the stubborn and the resistant, I pray that you soften hearts. if you need to cut and prune lord i pray that you do that that even the proud among us would get to a place where they would declare that heaven rules would you help us to separate our own selves from our own sin in your power in christ we pray amen we're going to sing before we go and a couple of quick announcements from van and Mariah at the very very end but we've got just a few minutes left and we would love during this song to pray over you to kneel at the altar or pray with us today. It would be such an honor. I'll stand here and look silly, just looking out at y'all or I'd love to to pray with any of you today. Uh, Take us up on this opportunity.